The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Coming up, the latest on the Kansas City Royals from our team here at KCSN. All of our Royals content is brought to you by KC Strength and Conditioning, experts in baseball and softball training for kids ages 8 to 18. If you're in need, you're in luck. John and his crew have sent hundreds of players to college and the pros. That's KC Strength and Conditioning. And now, it's time for the latest updates on your Kansas City Royals. What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. I'm Joel Penfield. Jordan Foote joining me as always. Josh Geiser has some family stuff to attend to, so he will not be joining us tonight. But Jordan, um, sorry about your Miami Heat. How the hell did they lose to the Hawks? Go Thunder. And that's all my NBA analysis that I, I possess. It's annoying, man. Like, I I can't complain too much because, like, Dwayne Wade won a finals. LeBron got there and everything was great. And then he left and still a good team. Like, the Heat haven't necessarily been bad for a prolonged, like, stretch of my life, I guess. But um, still not great, still not ideal losing to Trey Young, who I don't really have much of a fandom for. I can't stand um, the guy. But, yeah. I, I just don't like him, and I, I don't like the play style. He doesn't play any defense. I If the rumors are true, and I know this is a baseball podcast we'll get to in about probably 30 seconds, um, if the Hawks are open to trading him, I'm interested to see who actually wants to take on that uh, contract. Because, like, yeah, he's one hell of a player, and, like, he can score and he can shoot, but, like, a little bit overblown, I think, right now. He's, he thinks he's Steph Curry, and he's not even Aldi brand Steph Curry, so he can keep... <laughs> staying lost in his ways and keep chucking up 40 footers that are air balls. Okay. That's fine. Uh, this show is always brought to you by Kansas city strength and conditioning. Uh, we thank them for being a I mean, they're a day one supporter of the show. We can't thank them enough for that support. And uh, be sure to go check them out. If you have a baseball or softball player in the area that needs a place to train uh, a lot of stuff to get to today. We're going to hit uh, the fact that the Royals actually won a series in the Bay area against the, the giants. They're trying to hang on uh, as at the time of recording and hang in there against the, the Jacob DeGrom and the Rangers tonight. Um, you guys will know the result by the time this episode comes out, so we're not going to give you any sort of live updates because it's it's not worth it. The good in Chris Bubich and Vey Pasquantino, Michael Massey is you know not been great. Or the whether the when the Royals not an if but when the Royals train or all the Chapman, and then uh, we'll hit some minor league news and notes of some notable performances from the first full weekend of every uh, affiliate uh, for the Royals. Uh, that played this past weekend. So we'll we'll jump right into the series against San Francisco. 
Royals win the first two games of that series, three to one, six to five. The game on Saturday was insane. Uh, a, you know, back and forth sort of game. And in true Royals fashion, it was the speed of Nate Eaton on a, on a wild pitch scoring the, the game winning run in the, uh, in the eighth inning of that game or in the ninth inning of that game, actually uh, a huge win there. That was a huge morale boost to those guys, especially the uh, Bobby goes deep in that game. Uh, Salvi hits the the go ahead or the tying home run there. I think it was five when it was five to two. So there, there was a lot to like there. And then the bullpen shuts it down at the very end. So I, I know that it's one series and how much are we really going to take from it? Because the, we're still really early on in the season, but that's the kind of stuff that we really need to gravitate towards with this season. Uh, it's not going to be pretty as we saw on Monday night, there are going to be those types of moments. So, I know that it is very easy to you know, look at that and scoff it off and, and decide to tweet through it on Monday rather than trying to be at least somewhat happy uh, that the Royals found a way to win a game. But that that was the kind of stuff that made me think that really things are heading in the right direction long-term, uh, winning that type of game the way that they did, especially on Saturday. Look, man, um, the Royals might not win a ton of series this year. Like, they might split some. They might have... You know, the there's going to be these two to one series wins, and there's going to be a lot of, you know, one to two losses, or there might even be some sweeps mixed in there moving forward the rest of the season. Like this isn't a team that people are expecting to win a ton of games, eighty five plus games, make the playoffs, anything like that. You have to take the wins when they get there if you're a Royals fan. It, it's not going to be pretty. There's going to be the three to one losses at the end where Chris Bubich has. Uh, a gem of a game or pretty damn close to it, especially for his standards. That was a really impressive one that we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, you have to find, if you're a Royals fan, silver linings and stuff like this. And I am not big on moral victories. I don't think Neither am I. that they are the end all be all. I don't think that they're worth really bringing up. Um, but if you don't want to be super upset about the team's performance after, you know, 11 games or 12 games or however far in we are as a the recording of this podcast you have to look at the bigger picture and the bigger picture was they did win a series against a team that had some aspirations heading into the year I don't know what direction the Giants are going to head into and one series is a small sample um I said the the taboo phrase already and we're five minutes into the podcast but um long road to a short path they won the series they had some good they had some bad you just have to take what you can at this point. It's not like the season's over or anything, or this team is gutted or anything like that. But um, considering how they started off, it's something that um, definitely catches your eye at least a little bit. I think there's a difference between trying to be a moral victory guy, which I'm not either, and having some sort of nuance and perspective and trying to find little silver linings in there, because that's really what this season is. It's all about evaluating for the future as we have a brand new staff that's really trying to to move things in a, a direction that the organization wasn't. And we're seeing some of those things start to come to fruition a little bit. We're seeing the, them hit the ball really hard. They're walking more than they really ever have in the last decade. I know that they made a living in the World Series of, you know, the World Series run of putting the ball in play. You're not going to walk, you're not going to strike out, you're just going to make the defense work. And that's fine. But there's also has to be some decent swing decisions in there as well. And know it, you know what? I just need to take a walk here. And there's there's something to be said for that. We're seeing them frame. And like the, the catchers have been really good. They're fifth in baseball in stealing strikes, framing, 
presenting to the umpire, whatever uh, phraseology you want to use there. They're doing the right things. And we're seeing some of that workout. We saw some of that in the Giants series. We've seen some of it in the Rangers series. I know it hasn't been pretty. I know the game yesterday was horrific. But we're still seeing some of these things come together. And it's like, all right, it it's going to all click at some point. We're seeing it in bits and pieces right now. Like, there is some good and some and a lot of bad right now. And that's just a perspective that I'm trying to keep because if I were, like, I could come on this podcast and piss and moan about every awful thing, but what good does that do? Like, and what we know is not a, not a season they're going to compete for a 500 record or the playoffs or anything like that. It'd be a completely different story if that was the expectation. It's not. It's not the expectation I had, not the expectation you had. I want to see how this is all going to work in the long term so that we can see the future of the organization beyond this year. And we're seeing some of that. It hasn't resulted in wins, but we're seeing that we're seeing some of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like you said, again, this is a, I'm trying to think of how many phrases I can think of that aren't small sample size, but are like similar to it. This is a fraction. I will say this is a, a piece, a small chunk of what is a 162-game season. These guys are going to be playing all year. They're going to be playing a lot of important games. They're going to be playing some unimportant games, potentially, if they're out of it at you know X date later in the year. It's about figuring out who belongs and who doesn't belong, Yep. who string things together and either salvage what's been bad or sustain what's been good and kind of impress the coaching staff. And can the coaching staff get them um, locked in and can then they prove that they're the people for the job and a certain record or a certain outcome on the year isn't going to necessarily indicate that it's what they do along the way and this was a good step along the way in the season that so far in the young year they just haven't had many of those so um, it's worth mentioning it's worth finding the good even in the bad um, but trust me we can we can find plenty of bad as well and it's only fair to to kind of teeter line between both of those yeah, if you want a bitch fest, I'm sure you can find another podcast out there, but that's not going to really be the show unless it gets goes downhill really fast. Like, if you want more measured, nuanced conversations, which I know is not necessarily the norm in the social media era, we're at least going to try and provide that here. Uh, before we move on to Chris Bubich, I do want to shout out Paul Hoover, who had to mm-hmm. take over for um, – before Bacuatrero, who came down with COVID in the middle of last week, right after we recorded, I think. It was like the end of the Blue Jays series. Uh, and got his first managerial win on Friday uh, there in the afternoon in uh, in the Bay and then pulled all the right strings to get that, you know, get together and get that win there in uh, on Saturday. So there there is something to be said for that. And, you know, him being able to step in as a first-time manager as well. It's not like he has that experience. He just happens to be the bench coach, which is second in command. And they got a couple of W's out of it. So that that's huge because it could have really spiraled out bad and they could have gotten blown out in San Francisco. And he was able to keep right the ship, keep everybody together until Q got back uh, yesterday in Texas. Now, so, the, you know, that is, that is nice to see as well. Like, and that shows how uh, competent Paul Hoover is as a, a coach as well. So if we want to go, I want to start with as much good as we possibly can and we'll, we'll move forward. But, well, what Chris Bubich has done to begin this season is not something I thought was possible. He looks like he had a completely different pitcher. I talked about some of that with Brady Singer. That's a little more between the years. We saw we saw that last year. 
Brad Keller, I know it's not spectacular, but you can see how good, like, how good he can be once everything comes together. We saw some of that on Friday. And then Bubich, man, that slider is a completely, it's a complete game changer for him. He's not throwing it a ton, but it gives guys something different to look at. His fastball completely reshaped. It's it's a really good pitch for him now. He is grading out as one of the better pitchers in baseball at this current time. Now, there's still a long season to go, but the early signs, and even for people who are Bubich doubters, that were like in the analytics community, they're like, this dude's fastball is terrible. He's never going to be, he's, the command is not good. I don't know what's going on. That narrative has changed very fast. After two starts, we will go, has he turned a corner? Is this really going to be the, you know, one of the other guys from that 2018 class that does it? And the early indications are, yeah, like the Royals found a second pitcher out of that class. And we're still yet to see Daniel Lynch pitch, uh, in a regular season game with the current staff. And maybe if you can get the most out of him, maybe you have three. But mm-hmm. the fact that the Royals were able to get two, which was kind of the number, like they couldn't be one of them, but it had to be at least one, or it had to be at least two, of Coar, Lynch, Bubich, and Singer. Seems like that's that's the case as we head uh, into the middle of April here. Yeah, I think so, man. Like you mentioned, he he's off to a good start, and it's only two of them, but 11 innings pitch, 164 ERA, um, 13 strikeouts to one walk. That is a pretty big That's deal. Huge. And, That's yeah, insane. it's huge. And you look at his pitch usage from year to year. So last year, um, 50%, roughly 51, it was 50 and a half, um, was a four-seam fastball. He was throwing that fastball a lot. Then the changeup is 27.8%, the curveball, 21.7. You look at this year now, 39.6 with the fastball, 26.8 changeup, 23.8 uh, curveball, so that hasn't changed a ton. But the slider, 9.8% of the time, opponents are hitting going up. Yes, and it's going to keep going up as he gets more comfortable. Um, opponents are hitting 455 off the four steamer, which I, I didn't expect to see, but that number is going to stabilize a little bit. The expected numbers on the curve aren't terrific, but they're getting good basic results. Um, the run value on the fastball, man, it was 20 last year, which yeah. is just, there's no sugarcoating it. That's absolutely, you know, tragically bad. Um, this year it's zero, which is a lot more easier to work with. He's throwing more first pitch uh, strikes. And this is, there is a tweet from, and I might butcher this guy's name, Lance Brozdowski or Brozdowski. Yes. Um, the velo was ticking up across the board. The extension is up. The release point was down. The movement changes to the the arm side trailing with the the four seamer and the changeup. Like you just pointed out things that he noticed with Chris Bubich's profile, and it, it shows. Like you look at the ground ball percentage is up fifteen percent, weak contact is up five percent, uh, barrel rate is cut in half, and his savant page looks pretty good right now. There's a like lot of red. he is, there's red and hard hit, expected slugging, walk rate, strikeout rate, whiff rate, um, extension like expected ERA, expected batting average, all that stuff is a differing shade of red. The lowest percentage you could find right now is, I think it is, as I'm looking at it, average exit velocity at 47%. So um, not any bad things really for this guy, me, to say about Chris Bubich so far. I am skeptical because, again, it's early in the year. But I think Lesky has brought up of all those guys, and it's his thought, it's everyone's thought, 
he's been the uh, the one to tinker with things and say, let's keep looking at stuff. Let's keep tweaking different things. Now he has people in the, the building who believe in him and the organization who believe in him and can interpret that data and use that data. Um, and it, it's been good for him. So all good things to say about Bubich and I'm interested to see kind of how the rest of his season takes form because he, he's making a good first impression in uh, 2023. If you're watching on YouTube, you just saw me fist pump and react because the, Mar- the Royals actually tied the game in the ninth. Shout out MJ Melendez. Um, the, the thing to me that jumped out the most with Bubich watching those first couple of starts was you mentioned it briefly, but the fastball velocity coming up. Mm-hmm. That's always been my biggest gripe with Bubich is he's try like the last two years, really he's tried to be so fine in the strike zone and f- focus on throwing strikes that when you do that and your command is all over the place, you start aiming the ball. So to speak, you're trying to get it yeah. in the zone and just kind of just get it in there. And when it's 89, 90 with terrible spin, not going to work. Not, it's going to get hammered, and that's what we saw the last two seasons. This year, it, started, it seems like he's starting to let it rip a little more. He's more confident with it. Fastball's up almost two miles an hour. Like, average was almost 92 uh, last season. This year, it's over 93. I bet it's going to stabilize around there. If he's 93, touching 95 every once in a while, when he really has to reach back, that's huge for him, especially with the the funk in his delivery. It's deceptive. It's, you know... There's just a lot coming at you. It's a lot of limbs coming mm-hmm. at you. And adding that extra pitch is huge for him. And I'm glad that Brian Sweeney and Zach Bove were like, yeah, go ahead and throw it. I know that there's been a lot of talk that some of the stuff with Keller and with uh, Bubich, you were like, well, the Royals didn't really teach them that. Like they went to external sources to go and learn those pitches. But embracing and, that, either way. But, and so that's where I give the Royals some partial credit here uh, this season because they were like, okay, cool. Let's try it. Let's see if this works. Mm-hmm. Let's embrace that, that you wanted to go and do that. You found this pitch. Let's see if it works. And it is. And they're letting them throw it. I don't think the previous regime would have let Brad Keller throw 22 curveballs in a start when it was mm-hmm. the first time he'd really broken it out in a regular season game. Absolutely not. But both Sweeney and both did it, and Brad Keller was pretty good in that game. They're letting Chris Bubich throw the slider, and it has been an equalizer for him, along with the reshaped fastball. It is great to see. It's another guy in the rotation. Like, Singer's your win day guy, but now it's not cross your fingers and pray Chris Bubich can get through four innings. It's can he get us through five and two-thirds and strike out eight and keep us in a ball game? It's not just hang on for dear life anymore, and that is a huge jump up from what it's been the last couple of seasons. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, I keep emphasizing, I do want to see how it holds up over time, particularly. It's not like he's old or anything. It's not like a fatigue issue necessarily, but how sustainable the fastball velocity is with the mechanical tweaks he's made to his delivery and, and the arm side movement and everything he has going on, the release point, the extension. Um, Also, just how long does it take for hitters to uh, counter the stuff that he's done? You know, it's coming and it's going to happen, but... He's a guy that, of any of the Royals pitchers, where I'm like, okay, he doesn't have the best pure stuff. He doesn't have the high-end velo. He doesn't have that, like, go-to trait necessarily. But if he can, if any of them were to make a tweak to, like, counteract that counter, it would be him. So, like, I think this can be, I have a lot more faith in him being sustainably above average or even close to, 
even closer to average. Like if he's just a fine pitcher, that is a huge upgrade for the Royals. And I think he can be better than fine given what we've seen. So the ceiling is there now to where Chris Bubis can be that clear number two, number three guy. It's just a matter of can he do this? Like, is this actually him or is he going to fade off? And that's always fair to ask, especially after two games. But um, again, the early results, you can't really ask for much more than what the Royals have already got. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about everybody's favorite player, Vinny Pasquantino. A sports network for today's fan. KC Sports Network. Podcasts, YouTube, social media, live shows. KCSN. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. So Vinny Pasquantino is really rounding into form now, uh, being the guy that we all know that he can be. Really, it started in uh, San Francisco on Friday. This is just the hilarious part of baseball. He hits a ball, I think it was 109 miles an hour, 377-foot like sharp line-out, fly-out, whatever you want to call it. Second at-bat comes up and hits a ball, 102 miles an hour, 366 feet, and it was a home run. Like, that's just one of those things, like, baseball's funny that way. Mm-hmm. But he just scalded baseballs that entire time there in the Bay. And, you know, it didn't result in the hit every single time, but you could tell he's really starting to get dialed in. Really dialed in tonight, recording on Tuesday. Three for three against Jacob DeGrom. Wasn't like he pieced him up every single time, but if you go three for three against Jacob DeGrom, who's probably a top three pitcher in this generation top five stuff all time that's a pretty good indicator that you're locked in and we saw that tonight really impressive stuff uh i i can't say enough good things about him but it's just it's nice to see we talked about it last week like the process meeting the results like we're seeing that with him specifically uh the hard hit rate is 93rd percentile right now in major league baseball he's not barreling the ball a ton 
but when he does get to it, I mean, it's it's getting places. And he said in coming into the game, he was sitting 235 with an expected batting average of 300. And that only went up tonight. <laughs> I think the batting average is over like 260 now, if you want to look yeah. at that. Um, the slugging is definitely going to be over 800. The OPS is going to be well over 800 at this point. He's striking out a little more than I think he will over the course of the season, but he's still walking a ton. He's such a complete hitter and really, really needed in this lineup with the offense still trying to find its footing for the most part. Yeah, 100%. And you look at his first seven games versus the last four, and that's before tonight, meaning Tuesday night. Um, he was posting an 11.8 soft contact percentage. That was zero over the next four games. 58.8% um, of his hits were or batted ball events were medium contact, 22.2% in the last four. 29.4% was hard contact. He just wasn't crushing the ball. 77.8%. You mentioned that 93rd percentile. Um, that's skewed by the last four games, but also he had a almost double the sample size where he wasn't hitting the ball as hard. So like this guy, he's doing absolute damage at the right time. And this little 10 to 15 game spurt, it's going to make his numbers level out coming into Tuesday. He had a 115 weighted runs created plus so like he was already trending upward. He was walking 15% of the time. He was striking out 19% of the time. And I agree with you. Both of those will probably drop just a bit. Probably the first one a bit. The second one maybe up to like 5% potentially. Um, he's going to have the power numbers come around. He's going to have the batting average come around. It already is. He started off the year. I didn't see one person out there who was remotely worried about him. And it's because he's the type of hitter that can go on a run. And he's the type of hitter that over the course of the full season... He's going to stabilize and he's going to be really good. And he's generally been a slower starter to yep. a year. Like it takes him 15, 20 at bats mm -hmm. to really lock in. It's not like the at bats he has prior or poor. It's just sometimes it, it's taken him a little bit. I remember that happening to him in uh, in high A and then in triple A to start the year. And then after about that 30 at bat mark, he just goes nuclear. And that's yeah. what we've seen. Uh, I think he hit that 30 at bat mark on Friday against San Francisco, and there we go, and it's just continued. Uh, you can't say enough good things about him, and, and hitting is a contagious thing. Once you see a few balls fall in, and you see especially those sharper hit balls fall in, which MJ has not seen a ton of, Bobby has not seen a ton of, uh, once those start to fall, then we're in a really good, uh, then we're in a really good place. And MJ came through with a big hit tonight. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny. I, I know we're not, MJ's not necessarily on our rundown, but I noticed coming into the game, his expected slugging percentage is 705. Yeah. Like a buck 60. It's the Royals have so many, like, and I'm not saying the Royals are going to bounce back and be like a top five offense or anything. I don't no, know. No. They're going to be, I don't even think they'd be a top 10 offense by the end of the year. You know, they're, they're not getting greedy with these, like, expected stats. And obviously those will level out sometimes, too. And, like, BABIP is something people want to keep bringing up. Oh, this guy is, like, a way lower BABIP than he should have. And uh, I'm actually going to talk about that with Michael Massey here coming up in a minute. But, like, the Royals have some guys who are flat-out underperforming stuff that they should be performing really, really, really well at by just about every metric. And I'm not too worried about an MJ Melendez I wasn't worried at all about a Vinny Pasquantino. People want to bring up Bobby Wood Jr. Not too worried about him. I've seen some people tweeting um, that they're not spamming 
the panic button, but people are tweeting like they are. Um, I, it's April, April 12th as you're listening to this, maybe April 13th, maybe April 14th. It's the 11th as we're uh, recording this. I, I just don't get it. Like, yes, the Royals could absolutely be bad. Yes, Bobby Wood Jr. could have a rough year. Yes, MJ Melendez could never have those stats bounce back. But, like, the process with a lot of these guys has been fine. They're doing fine stuff. They're hitting the ball hard as a team. That stuff's going to bounce back. So I'm not not too concerned about it. And Melendez with, you said it was like 705. And that was the expected slugging, I believe. Let me, let me confirm that. But I remember it was a ridiculously high number. Yeah, and then, he, it is ridiculous. Here. That is ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, just th- these are the percentile rankings for MJ. And No, he's not on the rundown. We're going to do it anyway. Sure. Average exit velocity, 100th percentile. Max exit velocity, 96th. Hard hit percentage, 99th. Expected weighted on base average for Woba, 93rd. Barrel percentage, 100th percentile. Expected slugging, 97th. Outs above average, 80th. And framing is 73rd. So shout out, Paul. Man. Um, yeah, but he's striking out 39.5%. That's what it, that's where it, what it <laughs> comes down to. Yeah, he's hitting 143 with an OPS of 536. Slugging is 286. Expected batting average is 266. Expected slugging is play. 705. Which would play. <laughs> would well, that's, why, like, play. that's why I have a really hard time with people freaking out and wanting to like slam their head through the wall with the offense. Mm-hmm. Like they are doing all of the right things when it comes to hitting the ball hard. Now, I know some of the swing decisions and some of the strikeouts in key spots, infuriating. I get it. It is infuriating for me, too. But I know over when you were looking at, like, from a macro perspective of the way the offense is handling themselves. Give it some time. I think they are doing the right things. Now, we're going to be sitting here in May, and this is still happening. And I might slam my head through the concrete wall next year. Because it's (laughs) like, at some point, the baseball gods are going to reward you for hitting the ball hard and putting the ball in play. Yeah, right. no, I was going to say, if on May 1, yeah, if on May 1, there's still, like, guys are still playing poorly and the team numbers are bad as a whole in certain aspects, then it's like, okay, you're you're not just looking at the panic button if you're a Royals fan, you're, like, you're like not spamming it, but you're you're definitely tapping on it and hoping that something goes off, like the little Staples button or whatever back in the day. Yeah. Like, you're doing that number, and it's not, again, there hasn't even been a month of baseball. Give it until May 1st. See what's happening. Um, go from there. And again, the processes aren't that bad. If the processes were that bad, then it'd be worth talking about more. Just not quite there yet for me. Yeah, it's, that's where I'm at with it. I'm not, again, trying to be measured and nuanced. Like, you have to be. If which this which is, you can't be simultaneously on social media, but you can't be on not, No, No, because you're a homer <laughs> if you even say they're remotely, hey, we're going to be fine. Like it's good they're they're you doing know, the right either. thing, yeah. It's it goes both ways and it's annoying. Yeah. But that's yeah. that's our uh, social dynamics and social media and uh, sports information podcast. Yeah, exactly. On the flip side of this, though, I was a huge Michael Massey fan coming into the year. I think he completely earned uh, the starting second base spot in spring training. Looked the part. Really felt like he was going to be able to be a, a core piece in the lineup. And he just has not performed at all. Negative uh, 23, way to run straight at plus. I mean, that's uh, for those counting at home, that's 123% worse than league average. He's striking out a third of the time, a couple, uh, three more strikeouts tonight. Um, didn't look competitive in any of them. He hasn't walked at all. 
Like they, I think the the OPS is like barely three hundred. Mm. And it, this is not me closing the book on Michael Massey. Similar to my conver- our conversation about Nate Eaton last week, like this is not closing the book on these guys. And these guys aren't big leaguers. They're just not ready right now. And Michael Massey needs a serious reset. He needs to refine his approach. He is swing early, swing often, swing at anything. Um, I think our buddy Alex uh, Royals Farm tweeted that he's gone full Salvador Perez, and he doesn't have Salvador Perez power, so you can't really like work with that. And so there there needs to be some some fixing that goes on in Omaha. Comes back up in six weeks, and he's a, I bet he's a completely different player. He's a smart player, dude. Yeah, he is an absolute grinder. I know that he's going to be a solid contributor in some capacity at the big league level. It's just not happening right now, and there has to be some sort of decision made there. We're going to talk about it a little bit more in the minor league side, but Michael Garcia's got like a 170 weighted runs created plus right now. Looks every bit the part of a guy that can contribute in a big league lineup right now. So it's not like there's nobody in AAA that can come up and fill that spot. Confidently, mm. there is, and at a certain point, I think you need to you just have to make that decision as much as the Royals don't want to because they put him on the opening day roster. It's just, it's got to happen at this point. And it sucks because I like Massey a lot. The defense has really improved, but he's been such dead weight at the plate right now. It just, you just have to send him, uh, send him a line 29. Yeah. It's, it seems like he's lost himself a little bit. And yeah, the BABIP is like 80 points lower than it was last year, but that, that doesn't tell the whole story. He's not just getting well, unlucky on any of this stuff. The barrel rate's down. The hard hit rate is up 13%. The expected slugging percentage is 479. The launch angle is up quite a bit. Um, He's pulling the ball a lot less than he was last year, and this is from our friend Josh, who is not with us today um, on the podcast. He thinks that Massey might be selling out for power too. Um, 50% fly ball rate. He mentioned the launch angle. The whiff rate is up. Um, the hard hit rate, 77th percentile. He's getting 7.4% on barrels per plate appearance. I, I think he needs to go down to Omaha at some point. Now, again, a very, very, very ugly first 12 games could turn into a very, very hot next 12 games. But, like, in this case specifically, it seems like the weaknesses he is uh, displaying right now and the at-bats he's putting up it's not just that he's missing a little bit or he's getting under the ball a little bit too much or he's pressing a little bit too much. Like, he looks overmatched right now. And when that happens, then I think it's time for an adjustment. So um, I think as Joel, <laughs> we're, we're going to give a peek behind the curtain. Um, speaking of getting under the ball, Joel messaged me in the chat during my little uh, spiel here and said, LOL, Massey just hit a sack fly to take the lead in the 10th inning. So um, that is the beauty of pre-recording a show during a game, um, but also not wanting to stay up for the end of that game and then record at 10 p.m. on a Tuesday. Yeah. So um, you guys will have to bear with me. That doesn't really change anything that I just said. It doesn't change. But... Yeah, none of that changes my opinion. It's just funny that that's happening. <laughs> yeah. The second, like, I'm, I'm following on game day because I don't have Bally. Yeah. I just saw in-play runs. But when Matt, like when Massey got it, I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. Yeah. And I, some, most of the stuff, like the Pasquantino stuff and the Chapman stuff um, that we'll talk about after a break here in a minute, that helps age. And like the minor league stuff helps. But like you also, on the flip side, you risk uh, the shelf life of what you're saying going, going short. But 
to be fair, a lot of this is still bad. Baskey still hasn't been good. I do think he's earned a little bit more time, but it is like firmly on the radar, I think, for everyone as it should be. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think people know that he is a solid base. It's not like people are like, why? It... Okay, I'm trying to be nice here, but it's like the way people talk about Hunter Dozier. Like, I think people are like mm. frustrated with Massey, but it's not like they think this dude shouldn't be in the big leagues. Oh, you know no, not mean? at all. Like, the, the conversation is more nuanced with Massey, even though it's like, okay, dude, like something's got to change here. And that's not me trying to take a ricochet shot in Hunter Dozier. We just have a four-year sample of Hunter Dozier, right? And he's a lot older. You know, like, he, he's a much more yeah. proven, unproven uh, commodity than Michael Massey, who doesn't even have, what, a full year of big league at-bats. Not, not even a full year of big league at-bats. We're going to take one more break, and then we'll come right back, talk to the Chapman and the minor league guys. You're listening to KC Sports Network. We'll be right back after this. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. All right, so when it comes to Rolls Chapman, when the Royals signed him, I had no idea what to expect. I figured, okay, he's gonna be semi decent, and they they'll be they'll trade him at the deadline, or they'll just ride out the year and then see you know he'll go elsewhere, um, and be like Royals legend or all the Chapman in the most ironic of terms. But he's been legitimately good, like really really good for the Royals this year. Threw another scoreless inning tonight, hit 102 a couple of times. That's the biggest thing for me is that it's not just that he's pitching well. If he was pitching well at 98, I'd be like, okay, he's probably cooked, but this is fine. Like, it's it's going to run its course. Yeah. The average fastball for him is 100. The sinker is averaging 102. Now, he's in 104 in game. The splitter is still like 92 miles an hour. I mean, what, what he's been able to do is just stabilize the back of the bullpen when Scott Barlow has been massive. I did... Again, there, I had, like, zero expectation for what a Ronald Chapman was going to be. But this is a very pleasant surprise, a welcome surprise. And teams are always willing to overpay for relievers when it gets to the trade deadline. I'm not saying that the Royals are going to get some massive haul from a team for Ronald Chapman, but they're certainly going to get more than what I thought they were going to get a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, no, 100%. And you mentioned the fastball below 99.6. It's going to average at 100. Um, the slider is up over three miles per hour. The whiff rate on the fastball, 66.7% compared to 319 Last season, 50% put away percentage on that pitch. Um, Lesky, again, Lesky does great work, guys. I, I know that Peter Lesky is awesome. Yeah, oh, go see what I do on cross-promotion. Lesky does awesome work. You need to subscribe to his um, inside the crown substack, he mentioned back in. I don't have an exact date. It was around when they signed him. 
he had talked to someone who said that the Royals noticed like a mechanical fix and thought they could fix something that would, you know, repair the fastball a little bit, renovate the fastball, rejuvenate the fastball, help him get some of that power back. And I was like, okay, well, the dude's mid-30s. He hasn't been fantastic as of late. You know, he still isn't on a team. As of, you know, a few weeks before he ended up signing, he was still out there. No one knew what he was going to do. Was he going to retire? Was he going to be back in the in the big leagues? The thing, though, if that actually did work, and if this is the byproduct of that mechanical fix, one, it's another testament to the Royals actually knowing what they're doing with this this time around, which is good, and it's a small sample again. I'm going to keep saying it. Um, secondly, though, like you said, Joel, he's going to get something. He's going to fetch a prospect of some sort, a return of some sort. And it's not going to be a player to be named later and the 29th prospect or whatever. Like like people were thinking beforehand, oh, the Royals will flip him for a bucket of balls and a thing, a big league shoe at the deadline. It's not going to be anything crazy. They're not going to get the best prospect in someone's organization or the number two, three, or four, or five guy. But they're going to get something better than what they had before if he can keep this up. And again, the age is weird. Um, or not weird. I don't know why I said weird. The age is a concern. Uh, the innings are a concern. The durability is a concern. Like he just has so many miles on him as a pitcher. But if he is not even an elite reliever, he doesn't have to fully sustain this elite play. If he's just a good high leverage reliever and he can be a rental for a team that wants to make a playoff push, whether it's American League or National League, it doesn't matter because the Royals won't be in that race, in my opinion. Yep. Um, that is objectively a good thing for them more than what they thought they already had. Sorry, I, my buddy just texted me in all caps, Bobby. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I just see Nathaniel Lowe pops out to Bobby Wood Jr. I'm, I'm assuming he made some ridiculous play. I'll, I'll probably tweet it out once we're done recording this. Sure. Um, great great radio. Thank you, everybody, still listening to this. Um, yeah, I don't know what to expect on the return. Our, our buddy mm-hmm. Josh... Uh, had a couple of comps for for what you could possibly see, uh, but I'll, I'll read those out. Just you know, hey Josh, you're part of the podcast. Um, Rysel Iglesias last year went from the Angels to the Braves. Got Tucker Davidson, uh, mm-hmm. who is a reliever, and uh, Jesse Chavez, who has been with I don't know 18 different teams in the big leagues. But shout out yeah. to him for that might be one of legend, one of legend <laughs> Jesse Chavez. Michael Givens got a 22-year-old reliever, Saul Gonzalez. And then Michael Fulmer went from the, I think it was the Tigers to the Cubs. That sounds right, maybe. Uh, Got 24-year-old double-A starter, Sawyer Gibson Long. Now, I don't know what kind of, um, I don't know if that's necessarily a good comp. Mm -hmm. Maybe if Aroldis Chapman still is like sustaining what he's doing, like the fastball still around 102 in the middle of uh no in the middle of July. And, you know, you strike all the irons hot and people think that there's can get the most out of him, squeeze the last little bit of Earl Shatman for a playoff run. Maybe a team will overpay. Uh yeah. but I don't know I don't know what to expect with that. I'm sorry that I'm so choppy. Uh <laughs> Joel sidetracked by something. It's, it's almost like there's the bottom going on. Yeah, it's the bottom of the tenth. The te- Texas Rangers decided up with two outs in the tenth, so that sucks. Um, I told, I said I wasn't going to do running commentary, but hey, here we are. Um, it's, I'm just going to enjoy watching a pitch while he's in Kansas City because it's kind of cool watching a dude throw 108 
You know, when he's ridiculous. Yeah. And the fact that he's still doing that at 35 and people thought he was cooked. I think a lot of the he was cooked conversation was he was ready to get the hell out of New York. Yeah. And that's I think that's what a lot of it was. I think itching in a smaller market where he can close. He's it's a little more unassuming. Feels like it's at least a decent spot for him to kind of reset and then head into a bigger market for a playoff role. Yep. No, I'm with you. All right, let's get to some of the minor league guys. Give them some love here. Uh, the guy that I want to shout out uh, early on here is Frank Mazzucato. Great start from him today. Uh, first start for Columbia. They they sent him back to Columbia. I don't think he's going to be there super long if he continues what he did tonight. Five innings, one hit, seven strikeouts, no runs, and only three walks. The command was a massive issue for him last year. It's still not amazing, but that's really good to see. And he had a 38% called strike whiff percentage. Wow. For him, that is huge. Obviously, having the, the great curveball command as a 20-year-old, great equalizer. And as long as he continues to build up and, and make his fastball a much more effective pitch, which it is. Like, his fastball curveball plays super well. I think he, he's going to keep building up. I'm excited to watch Ben Cooter know later on uh, this week. But really good start from him. Who, who is someone that stood out to you? Uh, down the farm. Uh, Columbia, I think David Sandlin, the Royals' eleventh round pick. I believe that was last year. Um, four and yes. two thirds, five oh, hits, oh. one run, eight strikeouts given up in his first start of the year. So kudos to him. Um, I have a couple guys for Quad Cities. I think they're the same for both of us. And then one in Northwest Arkansas. And then do you want to work our way up now that we're starting at the bottom? Yeah, I'm good here. with that. I'm good with that. Okay. Um, Quad Cities, I think. Gavin Cross, my yard, that is always a good thing. I mean, that's about all he's done so far in his 10-point performance. Yeah, he does. So when he gets a hold of one, it's gone. And then Chander Champlain, six innings pitch, two hits, um, two runs, eight strikeouts again in his first start. So Quad Cities, they were winless heading into the recording of this podcast, but um, they're good things to keep an eye on there so far. Yeah, Luca Tresh in double-A has a couple of home runs. Uh, the Royals are just finding catchers left and right that can just yeah. mash. Um, it, he had about 408 feet tonight in Wichita. Uh, he had a, his first uh, hit of the year was a home run a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still like we think it's early on for the major league guys. It is super early for the uh, for the minor league guys not in triple-A. So I'm not even going to try to mention other samples and like read off some stats because <laughs> you're not going to mention Veneziano's five innings, seven hey, strikeouts, one walk. That, now that hey, was jackass. Huge. <laughs> Just messing with you. Yeah. Now we'll say that was huge because the fastball was up back around 96, 97, which he was like 90 to 92 last year. It was bad. Which yeah. was weird. I don't know what happened there, but good for him getting back. I bet he's going to end up in Omaha at some point. He, he's redoing double-A, but he won't be there for, for too long, I don't think. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And jumping up to Omaha, um, I'm going to leave the Michael Garcia talk to you because I know that's your thing. Logan Porter, his OPS was like 1.283 in 20 at-bats. He did strike out nine times, like you're taking the good with the bad there. Um, Drew Parrish allowed two hits, no runs, and six innings with – uh, seven strikeouts and three walks. But I know, Joel, of all the guys at Omaha, there is one that has caught your eye early on um, in the spring, caught your eye, and then is continuing to do so 
to begin the minor league season. Yeah, Michael Garcia, he's walking more than he's striking out right now, slashing 353, 49, 529 for a 171 way to run straight at plus. I'm just going to say the spoiler right now. It's a 440 BABIP, and he's not a, way, a 170 way to run straight at plus guy at the big league level. But what are we doing here? <laughs> like, and this is not me trying to bag on like Eaton and Massey and others, but this is the dude that's big league ready right now. He was big league ready in spring. Probably should have been a part of the big league roster then. Like, it's time. Like, let this dude get in the lineup. If they're going to keep shuffling guys around, like, it's not like we're really that worried about him getting every day at bats. Not everybody's getting every day at bats right now, especially at least in the way, you know, during this little streak of 12 games. But the point is, like, he's hitting the ball harder than, like, the Nicky Lopez stuff, like, that kind of pissed me off because it's just not true. And he's hitting the ball harder than Nicky ever was at that level. And he's walking a ton. He's striking out a little more than I think he probably will. It's around like 20% right now. But bottom line, he's a big leaguer sitting in AAA. And it won't be too long until he's up in Kansas City. And I, I really think that is like your, your nine-hole hitter that's solid with the bat. It's not a, a you know, a glorified out. Every single time, he's going to take his walks. He's going to play elite defense, and I'm excited to see him in Kansas City. One more note on a guy that I just think the stat line is funny. Uh, Carter Jensen, now, he, I don't even think he's 20 years old yet, and he's in high A quad cities. Yeah, he's not even 20. Yeah. Um, he walked, a, like, he has a 97 weighted runs created plus, and he doesn't have a hit yet. Yep. He has he walked five times, struck out twice in thirteen plate appearances, and does not have a hit yet. I understand, like, hey, they they don't have a you know no hit, but you know what? Like for a guy to have that elite of an approach at nineteen tells me that those hits are going to come just fine. So uh, Scott Barlow got walked off on in yep. the bottom of the tenth. He allowed four runs, three of them being earned. Um, if I had my math right there, um, that is your live update on something you already knew the outcome for, but I apologize. I just felt like we had to, time is a, a circle and we had to close that because it was still open. So yeah. you're set. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're going to, they lost a the game. <laughs> they're they're going to lose many more games this year. I just provide that little update. I know that Twitter is going to riot and on fire and they'll want to fire Quatrero for some managerial decision when they couldn't make that same decision they wouldn't know what to do because you know keyboard I definitely wouldn't I, I keyboard, people, keyboard warriors gonna do what they do man yeah and like I think I've always been of the opinion that the manager position in baseball the good ones can elevate a team like the the middling ones are just okay and the bad ones can can drag you down a little bit but like overall the impact of the position not quite what people think but like there's so many decisions involved in not just the moment you get to the ballpark, just the lineup decisions. The, I, there's so many things you have to take into account as a skipper of a major league club. I wouldn't want that job. And I think it'd be fun. Like the highs would be high and the lows would make you really want to get back after. But like all those decisions, all the pressure, all that stuff, um, people need to keep that into account. Like there haven't been criticisms of Q really so far besides people not understanding some of the lineups because they don't um, I don't they just want to they don't critically think. Yeah, I think they just want to complain, but 
um, again, long road, short path. It's a tough job. Yeah, it is what it is. We saw some fight. Again, I'm going to try and find as much positive in this as I can because why would I want to sit here and dwell on all the negative stuff? It's not worth it. It's not how I want to live my life. There's already enough of that crap. I don't want to. I don't want to do. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to initiate that. Well, weird end of the podcast. Um, what I think mean, it's fitting. Thing? It is kind of fitting, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, not my best performance. I'd I'd say that was like a forty-five grade podcast for me. Uh, I don't know about that. It depends on what scale you're looking at, too. And like, it gave people something to think about on their way out. So I think you can bump that up to like a a fifty, fifty-five, maybe. Good enough for me. Um, <laughs> Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode. Uh, be sure to like, rate, subscribe on all uh, podcast platforms. Be sure to go subscribe on YouTube. We're closing in on 100 subscribers there, uh, so be sure to go and hit that. If you are the 100 subscriber, let us know. Um, not This isn't going to be some sort of contest. I'm not going to speak for any sort of merch, but it'd be kind of cool to know that you're 100. Um, before we get out of here, though, I am curious what you think of the defensive shift that the Royals employ, and they're the only team that I don't like it. I don't like. You don't it. like it. I get. I like the. Uh, I like that an MLB team is trying to be creative and innovative and like proactive. I guess, but like, I don't think it's going to be any good. I I said when the rules when we had like our one of our first podcasts of the season we talked about the rule changes. I said someone's going to try something. They're good. They're still going to be and yeah. the Royals are the team that does it. And yeah. surprisingly, the Rays aren't doing it, which I thought was really. I thought they would have been the one to do. It. I thought but I the misread Royals the tweet. <laughs> I thought it was like, no, that that says Rays, not Royals. That are that are employing the like two, essentially two man outfield, and MJ is playing or the right fielder is playing where the um, where the second baseman would be last year, and it's worked for the most part. So it's not like the Royals have gotten burned by it. They're not going to do it all the time. They. McHugh has said like there is a certain data set that they have to see in order to employ that and like there's only a handful of hitters in baseball that actually makes sense to do that now so we're not going to see it all the time but it is interesting to see the world's try stuff and like, like anything that we're seeing this year like they're trying stuff they're trying to be innovative they're trying to to gain any advantage that they can you know it's a, it's at least interesting and I I, I it's going to happen once where a ball's going to get hit down the right field line in the air and the crotchety old men are going to freak yeah. the hell out and it's going to be kind of funny. Like, I, I will laugh when that happens because it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, that's the risky run and it is what it is. All right, let's get out of here before I uh, ramble anymore. Thank you to everybody for listening and we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.